Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. The Word of God gives us the assurance of grace. And as we accept the truth and the promises of God, we have the assurance of faith, not based primarily on my feelings, which fluctuate, but on the objective truth of the Word of God. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe. Did you know that one of the most frequently asked questions is, how do I know that I'm really saved? Or is it possible for me to lose my salvation? Well, today on The Verdict, as we continue our series on grace, we're dealing with these important personal questions as we discuss the assurance of grace. And now, here's Pastor John Monroe with today's lesson. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. These are the opening words of John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Our current study is focused on better understanding God's grace and why it is so amazing. One of the wonders of God's salvation revealed in Jesus Christ is that not only may we be saved, we can know that we're saved. We call this the assurance of salvation. It is possible to be saved and not to have the assurance of salvation. It's also possible to think that we're saved and not really be saved. So I know you will listen carefully as we think of this very important subject of the assurance of grace. Can I really be sure that I am saved? Is it possible to be sure of my salvation? So our important subject is the assurance of grace. Let me say to you that God's desire for you is not only that you are saved. God wants each one of us to be saved by His grace. But God's desire for you is not only that you're saved, but that you know that you're saved. And so we're going to consider, first of all, the basis of our salvation, and then secondly, the basis of assurance. In these difficult economic times, it is essential that our faith is not built on hype. It's not built on some emotionalism. It's not built on psychological possibility thinking. It's not built on learning some techniques to help us through life, but rather that our faith is built on God's unchanging truth. The Scripture says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Could I paraphrase by saying the stock market goes up and the stock market goes down, but the Word of our God abides forever. And it is that living Word that we need. That in your time of crisis and a time of joy in all of life, that our faith is rooted and grounded in the unchanging and unchangeable God who has graciously given us His Word. Now let's turn to that Word. Hebrews chapter 10, first of all, as we think of the basis of salvation, this should largely if you followed these earlier message, be something of review, but very important. The basis of salvation by grace is Christ's redemptive work. That grace looks to what God in Christ has done. Not what you do, not how you are, not your feelings, but looks to Christ's redemptive work. 
when we talk of Christ's redemptive work, we're meaning his sinless life, his substitutionary death on the cross at Calvary, his burial, and his glorious resurrection, and the fact that he lives in this indestructible life that he is alive. Now, the writer is saying here in Hebrews that we may have the assurance and that we should have the assurance that we are saved by the grace of God. Read with me, first of all, in verses 22 and 23. Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near, that is, to our great God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Metaphorical language, obviously, regarding the cleansing which comes from our Savior. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here the writer is exhorting believers in Jesus Christ to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now what's the basis of this full assurance of faith? How do we know that we are really saved? How do we know that Christ may accept us or reject us. After all, none of us is perfect. All of us have sinned. The writer is saying, look to Christ's redemptive work. Look back at verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. How wonderful. The writer is telling us that this sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was once for all. How long does it last for all time, verse 12? It is the final, ultimate, unrepeatable sacrifice as Jesus Christ dies once and for all for sins for all time. All of the Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sin, verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as we read in verse 11, the priest stands daily at his service. Think of the thousands and thousands of sacrifices offered in the Old Testament. Why were they offered every day? Why was there a continuous sacrificing of these animals? Because they could never ever take away sin. Many of you here I know take medication daily. Every time you take that little pill, that little capsule, it is a reminder to you that you have a problem, a medical problem that will not go away. The daily medication that you take does not remove the basic problem that you have, and so every day you're taking this drug. Similarly, the constant daily Old Testament sacrifices were a reminder that the basic problem of sin was still there. But the writer is arguing so brilliantly, Christ's death on the cross 
is the ultimate unrepeatable sacrifice. It is once for all. Notice he describes it as a single offering, ending all sacrifices. Verse 14, by that single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What did the Old Testament priests do when they came into the tabernacle or the, or the temple? They stood offering these sacrifices. No chair in the tabernacle, no chair in the temple, symbolizing that their work was never done. In contrast, the writer is saying, after Christ's sacrifice on the cross of himself, he offers himself, he is the sacrifice, he gives himself, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he offered his sacrifice of himself on the cross, what then happened? Verse 12, he sat down. How wonderful. Why did the Old Testament priest never sit down? His work was never ever completed. But Christ sitting at God's right hand demonstrates that his work is finally and perfectly completed. Christ sitting at his Father's right hand demonstrates also that God, the Father, is perfectly satisfied with the sacrifice of his Son. The debt of sin for all time has been completely paid by Christ. F.F. F. Bruce writes, a seated priest is a guarantee of a finished work and an accepted sacrifice. That's it. A finished work, a perfect work, and an accepted sacrifice that is accepted by God the Father. Now, because of this ultimate sacrifice, we read in verses 17 and 18, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. You've got many sins, haven't you? Because of this ultimate sacrifice, because of the fact that we who trust in Christ alone for salvation, God says, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds, your transgressions, no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, and there has been in Christ, there is no longer any offering for sin. For all of us who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, all of our sins, and they are many, are remembered no more. Did you get that, Christian friend? Why are you living with guilt? Why are you living under the bondage and the shame of the past? You say, I, I really blew it. I, I, I lived a terrible life, and these sins come back to haunt me. In a dream, Martin Luther found himself being attacked by Satan. The devil enrolled a long scroll containing a list of Luther's sins. On reaching the end of the scroll one, Luther said to the devil, is that them all? No, says the devil. There's another scroll. And he reads all of the sins on the second scroll. Says Luther, is that the end of it? No, says the devil. I've got a third one. And he, re he reads the sins on the third scroll. And finally, he comes to the end. 
You've forgotten something, Luther exclaimed triumphantly. Quickly ride over each of them. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all, all sin. Isn't that wonderful? Does the devil ever bring to you, brother, sister, the sins of your past and says, listen, you sing in the choir. <laughs> you teach Sunday school. You're an elder. You're the senior pastor. People think that you're so spiritual, but think of all of the sins of the past. The writer here is telling us in Hebrews 10 verse 17 that God remembers them no more. Is that because God pretends they never existed? No, because they are, as we heard last week, they are covered, covered for life, covered for all of eternity by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an assurance of grace that God gives us. This is the assurance of grace. All of my sins forgiven. God remembering them no more. Gone forever. Not because I've personally atoned for them. And not because I've made a little deal with God that I'm going to change my life and try and atone for all of the sins of the past and hope for the best. That through my good efforts, through some kind of penance or purgatory or confession or good works, that I'm able to discharge the debt of all of these sins. Absolutely not. Our sins will never ever again be brought before us because of the ultimate sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. He paid them all. Jesus paid them all. Are you grasping that? Have you allowed that thought to grasp your soul? All religions other than biblical Christianity, I don't like thinking of biblical Christianity as a religion, but you know what I mean. All religions other than biblical Christianity are standing up religions. You say, what do you mean? There is never ever the assurance of salvation, never the assurance of grace, your works, your efforts are never done. You've got to keep trying, keep working, keep praying, keep meditating, keep going through the religious rituals, keep hoping for the best, and at the end of the day, God may accept you. Join the church, light a candle, give money, be baptized, try harder and harder. These are standing up religions. And some of you are held in bondage because of these standing up religions. We've read that Christ is seated. The work is done and is done perfectly. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ does not need to be repeated. Nothing can be added to His work. Why? Because it's perfect. You really think you can improve on Christ's work? You really think that you can add something to what Christ has done? Absolutely not. When you're trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you will rejoice not only to be saved by the grace of God, but to know that you're saved, and you will rejoice in the assurance of grace. Now, if to any extent you're depending on your religion, if to any extent you're depending on what you do, and some of you are really nice people, and you think, well, I'm not that bad, I can really do something, as long as you depend on anything other than Christ alone, you will never have the assurance of grace. This comes 
from trusting in Christ alone. All of grace that is really amazing. Now, let me mention, as we think of the assurance of salvation and the basis of salvation, let me now mention the basis of our assurance of salvation. The basis of salvation is Christ's redemptive work, but we're going to think of the basis of our assurance of salvation. And we're going to think of three things, one objective, two external, and three internal. And you say, you're totally confusing me. I know that, but I'm going to explain it to you. Give me a chance, right? First, the objective truth of the Word of God. How can you be sure that you're saved by God's grace? I'm saying fundamentally look to Christ, not to self. But think of the objective truth of the Word of God. And this is the most important. You're in Hebrews 10. Turn over a few pages towards the end of the Bible to 1 John. 1 John 5, verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Pretty clear, right? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John is saying, yes, I'm writing to you who believe but I don't want you just to believe. I want you to know that you have eternal life. And that comes from the truth of the Word of God, believing the promises of God, taking God at His Word. The Word of God gives us the assurance of grace. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God doesn't have life. And as we accept the truth and the promises of God, we have the assurance of faith, not based primarily on my feelings, which fluctuate, but on the objective truth of the Word of God. Harry Ironside is a former pastor of the great Moody Church in Chicago. He tells the story of an elderly man coming to him for advice, saying he had a desperate struggle with this very subject, the assurance of salvation. The man said, I really don't know if I'm saved or not. And he had really struggled with this for a long time. And he told Ironside how he longed for some definite witness that he would not mistake. Suppose, says Ironside, that you had a vision of an angel who told you that your sins were forgiven. Would that be enough to rest on? Yes, the man replied, I think it would. An angel would be right. But inquired Ironside, supposing on your deathbed Satan came and said, I was that angel, transformed to deceive you, what would you say? The man was speechless. Ironside told him that God had given him a more reliable and more authoritative voice than the voice of any angel. He has given us his son and his word. And Ironside said to this man, isn't that enough to rest on? Of course it is. From Hebrews 10, we've seen that the basis of our salvation is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. The basis of our assurance is the Word of God. Salvation comes from the cross of Christ. Assurance comes from the Word of God. Your feelings, as I say, fluctuate. 
Today you're in church, you're feeling reasonably spiritual, well, at least 10% of you, right? Tomorrow you're not going to feel very spiritual at all. Our feelings fluctuate, but God's Word is unchanging, utterly reliable. And the better you know someone who is reliable and trustworthy, the more you trust them. Isn't that right? In life? If someone is trustworthy and you get to know them, the more you get to know them, the more trust you have in them because they're reliable. They don't lie. They keep their promises. God is 100% reliable. God always means what He says and says what He means. And do you really think that God is going to go back on His Word? Do you really think when God says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, and you have placed your faith in Christ alone, in God's grace, and received eternal life, do you think God is going to go back on that promise? Of course not. It's unimaginable. The blood of Christ keeps me safe. The Word of God makes me sure. That's it. First then, the objective truth of the Word of God. Secondly, the external evidence of a transformed life. I'm saying now that if you are truly saved, we've thought in previous messages of those who say they're saved and they're not, but if you have really had a supernatural work of grace in your heart and you are saved, there is the now the external evidence of a transformed life. One verse, 2 Corinthians. You're at 1 John. Go back a few pages. Keep going till you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, a well-known verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we're saved by the grace of God, there is a supernatural change within us. We're born again, we're converted, we're indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're adopted into the family of God. We're blessed with every spiritual gift in Christ. Now I ask you, how could you go on living in the way that you used to live when there has been such a radical, fundamental change by the grace of God in our life? And this radical, supernatural change is evidenced externally. You're listening to The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and the start of a message titled The Assurance of Grace. Tomorrow, we'll continue with part two of our lesson, so make plans to join us then. And in the meantime, you'll also want to visit our website at theverdict.org where you'll find many helpful biblical tools like this month's featured resource to help you understand these important subjects of grace and salvation and to find your answers in the Word of God. We want to send you a special booklet by John titled, Eternal Security, Finding Certainty in a Chaotic World. This booklet is completely free by mail or download. Just visit our website at theverdict.org. Here at The Verdict, we're dedicated to bringing you the truth of God's Word every day. And our efforts are made possible with the help of faithful support from listeners like you. So during this special season of giving, please consider donating to this radio ministry to help keep these Bible lessons on the air. Your contributions, big or small, fuel our mission to share the gospel. To make a one-time gift today or set up a recurring donation every month, just go online to theverdict.org. Or you can set up your donation over the phone by calling 
You can also send a check in the mail by writing to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? Are you saved by the grace of God? Are you ready to meet God? Do you understand God's way of salvation? It is not of our works, but is entirely of the grace of God, accomplished in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I trust, if you're listening to this broadcast, you have the assurance of salvation. We will continue with this subject, so do tune in, as I want you to know the joy of being saved and the assurance of grace. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.